Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to be taking an interesting spotlight. If you have been following the Dr. Jazz Podcast for a while, then you know that we rarely um, just spotlight on well-known artists unless there's a certain angle to them. Case in point, for Ron Carter's birthday on the most recent episode here, uh, we chose to go with some deep tracks that are just absolutely gorgeous and lovely, as opposed to just you know rehashing a Ron Carter's greatest hits, so that hopefully you can appreciate, admire, and dig a, a little bit deeper for exploring Ron Carter and his music. <clears throat> well, in this episode, we are going to be taking a look at the Bill Evans Trio. Now, when I say the Bill Evans Trio, that conjures different musicians in different people's minds. Some people, a majority of people, may automatically go to the Evans, LaFaro, and Motion classic piano trio. Some think of the Mark Johnson and Joe LaBarbera trio as that fantastic last group that he had. Some may think of some uh, trios with Eddie Gomez. And the truth is, is that what we're going to be doing is we're we have paired this down to 12 tracks to show you an evolution of the piano trio just within the crucible of the Bill Evans idiom. So, Bill Evans has had many trios that he's worked with, some with overlapping members, and that's what we're going to discuss and listen to on this episode. So, sit back, relax, enjoy, grab yourself a beverage. And be prepared to listen to just some awesome piano trio music as we spotlight Bill Evans' Trio Evolution here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Enjoy.
Yes, yes, yes. So good. Okay, so we're we're not necessarily going to go for our usual format of like three tracks, three tracks, three tracks. It's a little bit different with this episode. So we're gonna there's some connecting threads, so to speak. So that's what we're going to kind of go with. Um, so that first tune that we heard to start off that set was none other than the jazz standard on Green Dolphin Street. Uh, it's been recorded hundreds of times, but this one was with the trio of Bill Evans on the piano, Mr. PC himself, Paul Chambers, on the bass, uh, taking a great solo, too, and the one and only Philly Joe Jones on the drums. Now, we're not going to go necessarily in chronological order. We're going to go with, like, connecting members and things like that. So, uh, and, and the slight differences. So... We heard On Green Dolphin Street from the album of the exact same name from Riverside Records. Um, it was recorded in January of 59. And you you have to understand that around this point, uh, Bill Evans was playing with Miles Davis and uh, Philly Joe Jones and Paul Chambers at that time. So that was truly, at that point, the rhythm section for uh, the Miles Davis sextet which included Philly Joe Jones, Paul Chambers, Bill Evans, Cannibal Adderley on alto sax, John Coltrane on the tenor sax, and Miles Davis on the trumpet. Um, they did uh, quite, uh, I, th- I think, th- yeah, th- there were three albums that Bill Evans had with Miles. Uh, there was the 58 Sessions, which uh, had great standards, on them, like My Funny Valentine, Love for Sale, Stella by Starlight. Then there was the the live album, Jazz at the Plaza. And then there was, was of course, Kind of Blue, uh, which the drummer changed to Jimmy Cobb at that point instead of Philly Joe. But Bill seemed to really like Philly Joe. There was a, a definitive connection with Philly. And there was a lot of versatility, too, which leads me to my next point, in that uh, the second track that we heard in that set was the Cold Border classic Night and Day. And it just, the drums kill it. And I, I mean, like, in a good way, not like kill the vibe or anything. It, it's it's so different for a Bill Evans trio sound. It, it 
it truly sounds like an anomaly. And, and in a way, it really kind of is. Um, this great Latin beat that's just absolutely phenomenal is provided by Philly Joe Jones. But the bass chair is different. It's not Paul Chambers this time. It's none other than the great Sam Jones on bass. Um, who you may know uh, better from recording with Cannonball Adderley. So you start to see like this little uh, connection of this little conglomerate of musicians that are all hanging out because Sam Jones eventually went with Cannonball, but Cannonball was already playing with Bill Evans and Philly Joe in, with, with, with Miles. So there, there's all these like threads to kind of you know, discern and, and, and peel away the layers of. And that's that's why we're here, is we're here to describe. It, it's a little complicated, but that's what we're here to do, is describe some of this stuff for you um, in this podcast while also enjoying just some awesome music, right? That is one of my favorite versions of Night and Day. Uh, and it, to me, that's a perfect blindfold test song. Because if you don't know, if you think, oh, that's the Bill Evans Trio, but then you haven't heard a lot of Bill Evans Trio. It sounds totally different. So, you know, you could get somebody on that one. But the other thing I was going to say is that the dynamic range is just wonderful in that tune. Because you start off really bombastic and energetic, and by the end, you're tapering down and delineating into this beautiful just fade-out. So, and uh, I should say that that version of Night and Day comes from the Riverside album Everybody Digs, Bill Evans. And it's, the cover is, is beautiful. It's just uh, four written compliments with the signatures of Miles Davis, George Shearing, the late great Ahmad Jamal, and Julian Cannonball Adderley. So, there you go. Uh, that was recorded in December of 58. So we're talking two months difference uh, between December 15th and January 19th. Well, not even. It was about a month uh, in between both of those recorded sessions. So that gives you a snapshot uh, to the versatility and the the great empathy. Well, you could call it empathy, but more than anything, the great groove uh, that... Bill Evans and Philly Joe shared, whether it was more of a straight-ahead swing like on Green Dolphin Street or whether it was this kind of nice, raucous-y, you know, Latin tune uh, with Night and Day. So, I don't know. That I think that's something special, and it's not something that a lot of people really, you know, pinpoint out. But that's what we're here to do here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Um, yeah, so on this next set... We've got quite a bit of material. We've got four tracks for you. So don't go anywhere. You are listening to Bill Evans' Trio Evolution here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
four fantastic tracks right there. Uh, so let's go in order, okay? So the very first track that we heard was a tune called Five. And Five is a tune based on uh, rhythm, set, rhythm changes uh, of Gershwin's I Got Rhythm. And um, it, it's got these, like, quadruple... I'm sorry, quintuple kind of feels going on in them. Um, and that's, it's an original tune written by Bill Evans. So, um, yeah, it's kind of pushing that envelope rhythmically speaking. And speaking of rhythm, the rhythm section was Bill Evans on piano, Bill Evans on piano, Teddy Kotick on the bass, and the one and only Paul Motion on the drums. Yeah. This was recorded in September of 56. It comes from an album called New Jazz Conceptions. Uh, it was really Bill Evans' first uh, album as a leader uh, of a trio. And it got four and a half stars, according to Nat Hentoff and Downbeat, um, who just said that this is an important first LP as a leader. And the liner notes of this on the back of the CD says, In 1956, Bill Evans was virtually unknown. It would be more than a year later, more than a year before, he first gained notice as part of the celebrated Miles Davis Sextet, which we talked about in the previous break. His initial album attracted little attention back then, but listening with hindsight, it is easy to hear in these highly individual trio and solo treatments a clear prophecy of the rich inventiveness that so deeply influenced Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, Keith Jarrett, and an entire generation of jazz pianists. And I think that sets us up pretty well to go on into uh, the next track that we heard, which was the very celebrated and famous Waltz for Debbie from the album of the exact same name, Waltz for Debbie. Uh, which was actually recorded uh, at the Village Vanguard on June 25th, 1961. And this is the infamous Bill Evans trio that most people think of. It's Bill Evans on piano, the late, great Scott LaFaro on bass, and Paul Motion on drums. And I really could have chosen any track off of this album because it is just that good uh they made a whole host of albums every one of them is 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 worth checking out whether it's sunday live at the village vanguard or any of those other albums like portrait and jazz which is one of my absolute favorites i love that that uh version of autumn leaves that the three of them do um of course, yeah, Sunday at the Village Van Explorations. That's the other good one. That's the, the one that's got um, Israel on there. So, yeah, I mean, any one of these albums that they recorded as, you know, a, a trio are, are well worth checking out. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's it was, if you get a chance to hear the, the, the three CD set or, you know, the multiple record set of the complete live at the Village Vanguard with the uh, Evans, LaFaro, and Motion Trio. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. Um, yeah, and, and sadly, just 10 days after 
that remarkable recording session at the Village Vanguard, 10 days later, Scott LaFaro would, would die in an automobile accident. <clears throat> and Bill was very, very close uh, with Scott and with Paul Motion, um, especially with Scott LaFaro, because it was the very first time that Bill had really experienced what, you know, writers call and what musicians call uh, musical empathy, meaning that it's almost as if that this other player can finish your musical sentences or your musical thoughts. It's like ESP. And you don't get to pick and choose when that happens, but you, you hear about it uh, between certain musicians. Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. Dizzy Gillespie always said that Charlie Parker was the other half of his heartbeat. So you do find that with certain people, but Bill Evans found this this magic with Scott LaFaro, musical magic, and it was it was fantastic, and it it really transitioned the whole bass from this root-centered instrument within the piano trio to a rootless, kind of meandering, conversational, contrapuntal partner, equal share partner within the trio. So that that was truly revolutionary and groundbreaking at the time. I mean, you can even hear it in the opening strains of Waltz for Debbie. It's not like he's just hitting root, root, root. He's actually harmonizing with the the melody line in the right hand of the piano. So these are things that sometimes I think jazz listeners take for granted, but it had to have occurred somewhere for it to be commonplace now. Well, this is where it occurred. So, um, but yeah, so now now knowing kind of the backstory between uh, the, the musical depth that Scott and Bill had, when Scott LaFaro died 10 days later after this legendary Village Vanguard recording, it really struck Bill Evans uh, on a on a, a very emotional level. Bill is one of those people that, and I don't mean this in a in a derogatory way. I just mean as a matter of factly that Bill was more sensitive than most people. It seemed like, and we'll talk more about that. But for I want to say a few months. I want to say it was like six months or something like that. Um, Bill Evans would not perform any gigs, and he had a one of Scott LaFaro's like sweaters, like kind of af, like uh, what do you call it? cardigans? Yeah, um, le- like left in his apartment or something that from like rehearsing or whatever, and he just really felt like he lost a brother, so he would just like meander the streets, smoking cigarettes, wearing Scott LaFaro's sweater, just like as if like a brother had been ripped from him in his musical family, so to speak. So that's not how everybody would, would handle that situation, but that's how Bill handled that situation. And nobody can be Bill, but Bill. And this is well-documented um, in Peter Pettinger's book, How My Heart Sings, which is a fantastic read 
on the great Bill Evans and um, his struggles throughout his life and career. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. You should. And um, yeah, and it, it kind of took Paul Motion off off guard for a while too, because I mean Paul Motion definitely felt a connection with Bill and with Scott, and then all of a sudden, I mean Bill wasn't the only one who lost like a musical brother in this configuration. It wasn't a duo; it was a trio. So Paul was in the middle of that too, but Paul is a little bit more, you know, was a little bit more rougher around the edges and just like, man, that sucks. You know, that really sucks. You know what I mean? But what are we going to do? You know, and and that's just the differences in personality between Bill Evans and Paul Motion. Um, but Bill did come out of it, uh, and he returned to full activity in 1962, uh, about a year after those Village Vanguard recordings of Waltz for Debbie. And there was a new trio. They, uh, Bill Evans and Paul Motion found uh, a bassist named Chuck Israels, who was quite a, uh, a formidable bassist, a great bassist, but you just knew that those were humongous shoes to fill, uh, specifically within the, the constraints of a piano trio format. We're not talking about like a, a bass player for a big band. So... Chuck Israels uh, did a more than formidable job, if you ask me, and was the bass player with Paul Motion, again, and Bill Evans on great albums such as Moonbeams. And then the third track that we heard in that set, which was How My Heart Sings, which is this gorgeous tune that was written by the great Bill Evans. And I love this tune so much because it... It's got one of those things that happens, and that's the connecting thread there, is between How My Heart Sings and Waltz for Debbie. Because it's they're both these tunes... Well, let, let's take it first off. Waltz for Debbie is a waltz. Literally, it's in the title. It's in three-quarter time, three-four time. And then, for the solo break, Bill Evans goes into this four-four time thing. Which is just great. Because it's like, oh, I see. Okay, so we're not sticking to straight 3-4 time. We're going to like play the, the head in 3-4 time, but then we're going to like solo in 4, and then, okay, okay, I got it. you know. But what's really cool about How My Heart Sings is that the way that the song is crafted is that it starts off, it, it's like an A-A-B-A kind of form. And the A sections are in 3-quarter time, waltz time, 3-4 time. But the bridge isn't 4-4. So you're constantly shifting back and forth between every solo ride that you take between 3-4 and 4-4 between the respective A and B sections of the, the composition, which I just think is fantastic. Uh, it's a great tune. It really is. It's got some gorgeous harmonies in there uh, that are utterly Bill Evans. There's no doubt about it. But... What it this shows you, hopefully, is that, that there is a progression between and, and an evolution and a constant pressing the envelope from five, which we heard first in that set, uh, which was rhythm changes with quintuple figures, along with Waltz for Debbie, with kind of like this 
fully conversational trio, meandering kind of bass that's not locked in just strictly roots, um, having a, a three-way empathetic conversation between the, the piano trio. And then we have musically the envelope getting pushed in How My Heart Sings with Paul Motion, with Chuck Israels and Bill Evans, and all you know take great 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 solos and things like that and then we closed out the set with uh another standard dancing in the dark and this comes from bill evans first album on verve records and that's trio 64 which featured bill evans on piano paul motion yet again on the drums he is the connecting thread among all four of these tracks in this set he is the drummer for all the tracks that we heard. But the bassist on this track is none other than none other than the great Gary Peacock. And Gary Peacock, you may well know uh, best from being the bass player with Keith Jarrett in the Standards Trio. It should also be well known uh, and documented that Paul Motion was the drummer in Keith Jarrett's American Quartet with Charlie Hayden on bass and Dewey Redman on tenor saxophone. They also made a few trio records with Keith Jarrett, uh, Charlie Hayden on bass and Paul Motion on drums. I want to say that the record was called Somewhere Before. It's got uh, a great cover of Bob Dylan's uh, My Back Pages, just as a side note. And, uh, honest, yeah, 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 yeah. So this exact trio, minus Bill Evans, substituted for Keith Jarrett, was the exact same trio from Live at the Deer Head Inn by Keith Jarrett. So it's Keith Jarrett on piano, uh, Gary Peacock on bass, Paul Motion, substituted for Jack DeJanette on that particular album. So, for that gig. And, yeah, because there's a definitive influence from Bill Evans to Keith Jarrett. There's no doubt about that. Um, but rather than in, hear me bloviate about um, Gary Peacock, Paul Motion, and Bill Evans, I'm actually going to read from you uh, a snippet, not the entire thing, but a snippet of the liner notes that the great Fred Hirsch wrote for this back in 97. See, this is what you don't get with digital. You don't get all this great info. That's why I love physical media. But that's a different soapbox. Anyway, Fred Hirsch says, Listening to Bill Evans was certainly a part of my early musical development, along with spending lots of time checking out many other pianists. But Trio 64, this album, was one album that I heard only a couple of times during those formative years. This recent experience with it struck me in several ways. The first thing I noticed is its simplicity. The format varies only slightly from tune to tune. Piano solo, bass solo, occasionally an additional improvised piano chorus, and head out. There are no drum solos or trading fours. The material is likewise basic. Medium tempo, 32 bar songs, a few with extra tags built into the form, two waltzes, and two ballads. There are no sophisticated arrangements, a couple of intros at best, and the endings sound largely unrehearsed. Many of them seem to catch the bass and drums off guard. So, yeah. That's that's one way of looking at it, is that it was just another 
take. It was just another studio date for Bill Evans. But he goes on to conclude by saying that on this disc, Gary Peacock seems to take up the path cleared by Scott LaFaro, who was killed in a car wreck in 1961, and journey on it well into the future. His solos have an urgent abstract quality to them, partially made possible by motions, superior timekeeping, and by Bill Evans providing extra harmonic space by laying out during many of the bass solos. On some cuts, Peacock fills in behind Evans as a horn player plays obligados behind a vocalist. He walks sporadically yet quite convincingly. One gets the feeling that the awkwardness of his instrument and the harmonic confines of the tunes aren't issues at all for him. It's clear that he has a lot to say and says it boldly. Though the pitches are well chosen, Peacock, like Evans, seems more interested in the shapes and lengths of his phrases in making his solo statements. And again, Motion's unerring sense of swing allows the other two to start and end their phrases in any part of the bar and to leave as much space as they like between them. So, yeah, I, I think that's a perfect um, synopsis of, of what's going on with Gary Peacock and Bill Evans. And one could say the exact same sort of thing between the conversational dialogue between Bill Evans and Scott LaFaro as well. You have Motion, who's providing this as... Fred Hirsch says, unerring sense of swing. And there's a lot of freedom that Bill gave Scott LaFaro and gave the exact same freedom and, 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 and liberty to Gary Peacock as well. But would it, it stop with Gary Peacock? Like, is that the, the answer? Or is he the last bass player that he would give that same kind of freedom to? Well, we'll just have to see as we continue to keep listening. So, uh, quick PSA. Remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, etc. So if you know someone who would dig this kind of music, please share it with them. Uh, remember, we're not making a dime off this. This is truly a labor of love for us at the podcast, and we actually have to pay to upload it onto our platform so that you can enjoy it. So, um so yeah, it's strictly educational and for the love of this music. Uh, it's truly a jazz evangelical mission to just send out good vibes and good music and education. So that being said, if you want to check out the artists, the tracks, and the order in which they're played for every episode of the podcast, simply go to our website. It's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z and there you will find out all the info plus the album artwork so you know what to go crate digging for in your local record store or your local CD store if you have one. And if you don't, at least you know what to order online. So uh, also at the top of the page of our website, you can click contact and it will send us directly an email. And we would love to hear from any of our listeners uh, to let them know, let us know that there are listeners out there. Um, and so for everybody like Daniel who wrote us this week, thank you. Appreciate it. The response is coming and we will write you back guaranteed. So, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And if you've got time on Apple podcasts, feel free to leave a positive review. We're oh so close to that perfect review of 5.0. We're at 4.9. 
and we'd love to have your support and positivity. So hopefully you're digging this music. I know that we are. I love the Dr. Jazz podcast because I get to play all my favorite stuff. So, and I do love some Bill Evans trio and hopefully you do too. So enough of that from me. Um, yeah, let's get back to some more Bill Evans trio evolution episode here on the Dr. Jazz podcast.
right. Three fantastic tracks there. Um, two standards and then one considered very much a standard within um, written by Bill Evans or Miles Davis, whichever one you prefer to look at it as. So let's start going in order what we heard first. So the first thing that we heard was the standard All the Things You Are. And that was from May of 1963 off of the album Bill Evans Trio at Shelley's Manhole. And that's none other than Shelley Mann, who owned his own jazz club, The Manhole, M-A-N-N-E. Um, yeah, and that featured Bill Evans on the piano, Chuck Israels on the bass, and Larry Bunker on the drums. So we've... Uh, moved on from Paul Motion. Paul Motion went and started doing his own thing. And, um, yeah, it's it's a continuation for Chuck, but it's a, a different-sounding trio without Paul Motion. There's no doubt about that. Um, and even on the liner notes, it says, this is the last album Bill Evans uh, made for his first label. The fact that... That fact alone would give this at least historical significance. And there is surely also some importance to its being one of only two occasions on which the pianist was recorded for Riverside during, quote-unquote, live performance. The other being, of course, um, the Village Vanguard recordings with LaFaro in motion. So, um, Chuck Israels joined Bill and Paul Motion afterwards. And then, in 1963, uh, L.A. studio stalwart drummer Larry Bunker made this brief but noteworthy contribution to the Evans legend. So, Larry Bunker, obviously a a studio cat, but, um, and not saying that Larry Bunker's bad, it's just not the the same degree of empathy that Paul Motion exhibited uh, with Bill. Specifically with Bill and with Scott LaFaro. But nonetheless, um, this is what I like to call an example of, of growing pains whenever you're trying to reconfigure different pieces of the piano trio puzzle. So, uh, the next track, speaking of Shelly Mann and his manhole, it's a great segue. Um, Shelly Mann is the drummer on the middle track there, and that middle track was none other than the standard Stella by Starlight. And Shelly Mann is on drums. And a new face is on bass. And that would be a very young Eddie Gomez. And it comes from the album A Simple Matter of Conviction. And um, let me look in the uh, liner notes here. That was recorded in October of 1966 originally produced by Creed Taylor and Rudy Van Gelder was the engineer so yeah and Shelly Mann even came over to make this date as a courtesy of Atlantic Records so what you get is a completely different approach um, with Shelly Mann Shelly Mann uh, was very you know, he was a very well-known drummer, uh, definitively from the West Coast, made several great recordings, had his own group for a while as well, a quintet, 
But it, you would think that, well, on paper, pairing Bill Evans with Shelley Mann would be uh, the draw or the headline or the hook, whatever you want to call it. But it was actually not the case. The very young Eddie Gomez was someone who Bill Evans would continue to record on with on on multiple albums for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, Eddie Gomez and Bill Evans even made a number of duo albums that were just fantastic. Uh, Montro 3, uh, Intuition, many of these great albums between the two of them were just fantastic. And Eddie Gomez is going to be probably the the longest um, connecting thread here for the next couple of songs, including the last track that we heard, which was... Nardis, which some say was written by Miles Davis. Some contend that it was actually written by Bill and that Miles stole it, took credit for it. Who knows? It's also that there, there's this um, legend, if you will, that the title of the tune, is, what does Nardis mean? You know, and some people said, well, you know, it's Sidron backwards, so could it be for Ben Sidron? But no, no, because it was written like years and years before Ben Sidram was even born. So it's not that. Um, but some contend that the legend is that Bill, with his um, New Jersey accent, um, <laughs> the something to the nature of, I can't remember exactly, so I'm paraphrasing, but someone asked him, like, you know, well, would you do this? And Bill's, Bill just turned to him and was like, no, nah, I'm an artist. Like saying, you know, like I'm an artist. But with that New Jersey accent, it came out, no, nah, I'm an artist. So Nardis is an artist, but in short speak. So don't know if that's true, but I'm just relaying what myths, legends, and fables that I know. So you're welcome. But... This particular trio uh, recorded Nardis live at the Montreux Jazz Festival and even won a Grammy Award. Uh, it came out in 1968, and the trio consists of Bill Evans on piano, Eddie Gomez returns with the bass, and in the drum chair, none other than the great Jack DeJanet. Now, it's worth noting that Bill rarely gives drummers like complete freedom but in this particular track slightly clocking in over eight minutes there's a part in the middle towards the end where bill gives complete freedom to jack so that he can express himself and he does so very bombastically in fact i will almost go as so far as to say that that is probably the most bombastic Beautiful, beautifully bombastic um, drum solo that we've heard since Philly Joe Jones and the intro to Night and Day that we played at the very first set of this podcast. So there's certain pieces that, that Bill is taking, leaving, switching around, and 
you can start to hear this musical evolution. And for a long, for the longest time, this was the only recorded uh, example between the trio of Bill Evans, Eddie Gomez, and Jack DeJanet. But thankfully, to Zev Feldman, the aka the jazz detective, he has unearthed quite a number of uh, of of lost tapes that have resurfaced in the last couple of years for Bill Evans and the trio of Bill Evans, Eddie Gomez, and Jack DeJanet. So the Some Other Time, um, the Another Time, yeah, the Hilversum concert uh, with Jack DeJanet and Eddie Gomez, the um, Some Other Time, uh, Black Forest Sessions, uh, with Eddie Gomez and Jack DeJanet are now available, and that's super fantastic to be able to hear yet again more recorded music between this fantastic trio. It really had a different kind of edge to it than a lot of Bill Evans' other trios. So perhaps that was a, a reflection of things going on in in the world, in the country, who knows? But the point is, is that it, it, it's really refreshing to hear that side of, of Bill in a trio format. So we're very thankful to Zev Feldman for those recordings as well. Uh, but it all started with this one, live at the Montreux Jazz Festival, and it was so good it even won a Grammy Award for uh, Best Instrumental Jazz Performance for a Small Group. So that's worth noting as well. Uh, so yeah, so now you're starting to hear some some different things and some reconfigurations, and hopefully you're enjoying this great music. Um, yeah, so remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast. So if you know somebody who would dig some great piano jazz uh, and some explanation on part of yours truly, please pass it on to them. So you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And once again, if you want to see the album cover art and, you know, the tracks for in the order in which they're played and which tracks featured which members of which trio for the Bill Evans trio. All that information's on our website. Just go there. It's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And you can write to us there if you click contact at the top. So love to hear from you. All right. We have one more set to conclude these 12 tracks. Um, it's three of the most gorgeous and enthralling music uh, that Bill Evans ever produced, in, in my humble opinion. Uh, I certainly hope you enjoy them. And uh, yes, again, let me say that we're nothing without you, so thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your day, evening, whatever, and uh, for taking the time to listen to us. We really appreciate it. So uh, that being said, let us get to our last set here of Bill Evans' Trio Evolution here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
All right. So we started off with Up With The Lark with Bill Evans on the piano, Eddie Gomez yet again on the bass, and this time Marty Morell on the drums from a January 1973 concert in Tokyo. It is Bill Evans' The Tokyo Concert. It's one of uh, what I feel is one of his absolutely best live recordings. And even his producer, Helen Keane, described this one as a perfect one. Um, yeah, this is some serious uh, interplay, some, some beautiful empathy, and it's just a beautiful song, Up With A Lark. Uh, gorgeous bass solo in part by Eddie Gomez great of course solos by Bill Evans and everything it's just outstanding Uh, in the middle of the set there we heard a tune written by Bill Evans called We Will Meet Again for Harry and this was a tune that he wrote this gorgeous you know uh, waltz that he wrote for his older brother Harry Evans who sadly committed suicide and once again that really rocked Bill Evans' world. It wouldn't be long after that that his wife would throw herself in front of a subway in New York because uh, she couldn't give him a child. And so both of these things within about six months of each other really started uh, the spiral for Bill Evans, uh, very sadly. And um, as I said before previously, Bill Evans... kind of is more tender he's a much more sensitive kind of personality than a lot of other people so this caused him to kind of go into kind of his final spiral so to speak and um as gorgeous as it is it comes from the album you must believe in spring featuring yet again um eddie gomez on the bass and elliot zigmund this time on the drums uh, it was. It was not. It was originally recorded in August of '77, but not released until after Bill Evans' death in 1981. So, and then we ended the set with and the whole podcast with "Someday My Prince Will Come," which is a standard that Bill Evans has been playing since the LaFaro and Motion Trio, off of Portrait and Jazz. But this trio is on the album Consecration One and features a completely new trio in Joe LaBarbera on the drums and Mark Johnson on the bass. Uh, That would be Bill Evans' last trio and one that he felt very, very, very happy about. He, uh, according to uh, an interview he did from an Oslo concert, he said that he really felt like this trio, the one with Johnson and LaBarbera, was the closest Definitely the closest he's ever come to that first real sensational trio with Scott LaFaro and Paul Motion. So seeing that it was his last trio, I'm super happy that Bill got to have that last spark before he passed on. If you would like to see uh, a great documentary on Bill Evans, I recommend Bill Evans, Time Remembered, which is a documentary film by director Bruce Spiegel. Uh, It's a fantastic documentary, and I highly recommend it. If you'd like to see a little short on Bill Evans with his brother, Harry Evans, uh, I suggest The Universal Mind of Bill Evans. It's really fantastic. And, um, yeah, it 
it's just it's great to hear Bill explain things like that. So thank you again for listening. I certainly hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast and taking a deep dive into the evolution of the piano trios of the great Bill Evans. Um, don't forget to check out the website, drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com. And in the famous words of Duke Ellington, you are all very beautiful, very kind, very gracious, and we do love you madly. And so with that said, until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust. <laughs>